Hey everyone, welcome to Group Thinkers, the uh, the podcast from RKD Group. Uh, I'm your host, Justin McCord. With me, as always, is uh, Ronnie Richard. Good to see you, Ronnie. Good to see you, Justin. I'm feeling refreshed and ready to go after a week in the most magical place on earth, Disney World. So I am good to go. Yeah, I, I was, you know, when you, you said you're feeling refreshed, I was wondering if you were going to let out uh, where you were. Um, you, know, you know, people keep tabs on where you are. They're looking for your check-ins and, and those sorts of things. I'm a pretty big deal. You know that. Yeah, Ronnie, uh, he uh, he's keeping check-ins alive uh, from his location. So, uh, so listen, so on each and every episode, you guys know this, but I'm going to roll through it anyway. On each and every episode, we sit down with uh, influencers in the nonprofit space. People who are doing something that's different, that's innovative, that's forward-thinking, and we're constantly looking for fresh perspectives on what's happening. And uh, we are in the middle of a, se a series of conversations on digital advancement. And I don't know if we can get more digitally advanced than today's topic. And, uh, and our guest, Pat Duffy, co-founder of The Giving Block, which is a crypto solution for nonprofits and donors. Uh, Pat, you are allegedly coming to us from the future. Is that correct? That sounds about right. Yeah. So, uh, so how how are things in the future? I was hoping we could do like fifteen more minutes of the banter between you two. I would love <laughs> to have a podcast that like 20, 25 minutes of banter and like fifteen just, of content. Just, uh, just we're just sitting here talking about what's been happening in our lives, and you're just sitting there just watching. I would love that. Yeah. Yeah. Just complaining about neighbors. Um, but everything, yeah, everything is good. From everything, from, everything's uh, good in the future. That's good. Uh, so, yeah. all right. So uh, we need to talk about crypto and we need to understand it and we need to understand, uh, your path to the giving block. And so I want to start there. Uh, and so tell us your journey to, to get here, uh, from the halls of Congress, as it were, tell us your journey to get here. And, uh, and then, you know, I got to be honest with you. My mom listens, and uh, and and there are other people that listen that may not exactly understand what cryptocurrency is. So, after you talk about your path, just give us a little 101 on the foundational elements of cryptocurrency. Yeah, sure. Um, so my background was in alliance development originally. So just working with. Uh, pharmaceutical companies to partner with nonprofits whenever there was something like patient access, say related, that they need to, uh, you know, go to Capitol Hill and kind of lobby together more or less. Um, so did that for a little while. I ended up at one of the the nonprofits that we worked with to to help them build a kind of a new management structure. Just thought it'd be cool to figure out like how a organization gets run sort of end to end instead of the the consultative side where you're you're kind of in a more narrow lane. And that was same time more or less that I had a, a buddy who got me into trading crypto, now co-founder, Alex Wilson. Um, toward the end of 2017 is when I first started like really actively trading, which is like the perfect time if you want to lose all of your money, because like everything just started skyrocketing. So I just like dabbled as it went up until Ethereum hit like $1,300 a unit. And then I just YOLO'd in and wrote it down to 88 bucks. Um, 
So a lot of lessons there. But what happened at the end of 2017 was the Pineapple Fund, Ashton Kutcher went on Ellen DeGeneres, was sending crypto donations. My mom, to your point, finally wrote to me. It was like, okay, I'm cool with this crypto thing because of all the donations and the charity stuff going on. And we pretty much identified two things. Like one, crypto could be an awesome force for charity. There's like now trillions of dollars in this stuff and it's super tax incentivized to give it. Um, just could bring a lot of innovation from this younger donor demographic. There's a real incentive to, to connect with nonprofits outside of just their, their impact areas. And then the other piece was mainstream crypto adoption, which we were just super hellbent on as two people who were sitting around trading crypto. We wanted to see it go more mainstream. We wanted everyone's mom to think it was cool. And we just saw through fundraisers and donations that that was uh, like a really good path to get there. That's uh, okay. So, so you and Alex, you know, that you conceived of this idea. And then uh, what did that path look like over the course of the last four years? You know, you're, you're talking about developing a platform. You're talking about, you know, trying to have these initial conversations with organizations who might not exactly understand it. Just talk about some of the, the different lessons and, and things that you learned or observed over the last three and a half years. Yeah. Well, pretty much, I guess, like the, the way that it has looked until really recently is like if you've ever seen Napoleon Dynamite, where he's like trying to feed like the lasagna to the alpaca and it's like, and it just keeps trying to get its head out of the way and it keeps flinging the lasagna off the ladle. It's like, it was like that on both sides of it, but we just knew it made sense on paper. So like the first big realization was like huge tax incentive to give this way, but no one in crypto likes spending crypto. Like they would much rather get rid of dollars. They hate dollars. They're hyperinflationary and crypto is the best performing asset ever. So like, that's why no one goes and buys like a pizza with Bitcoin. Like you hear the horror stories from back in the day, but even today, it's, it's the same reason you don't go to a baseball game and buy stuff with stocks. So there was this artificial measurement of crypto adoption based on whether or not you're spending crypto in the for-profit arena. We saw that on the other side of the fence, it's actually more tax efficient to give crypto than dollars, which is like a huge use case opening for users. And you have trillions of dollars sitting there. And what that means now with 300 million users. Like there's tens of millions of users in the US alone who are most tax incentivized to donate this way. So you need tax education, they need campaigns and moments to give, the industry needed a giving pledge, the companies needed integrations. Like we just saw that the, the giving culture on the donor side it needed to be built. It wasn't just like if you pop a donation option on a charity site, funds are gonna start flowing through. It just wasn't there yet. So like that was one of our big um, realizations in the early days. And then the other side was on the charity side of the fence. Charities were, we found a couple dozen in end of 2017 who were accepting it. None of them got donations. And then we saw, you know, a handful who did get donations and they were taken in the worst ways possible. So like donors were just showing up to a random charity who had nothing set up. They were like, pop open a wallet, we'll send it to you. And then they were just sitting there waiting for a month and a half for an exchange account to open as they watched Bitcoin tank by like 40, 50, 60%. So there's this miserable experience. Then there's the accounting for the donor and the nonprofit. There's the automatic generation of a receipt that didn't exist. There's the, the reconciliation and then the fundraising, ultimately. No nonprofits were getting in front of donors on top of just getting all the headaches out. Um, so we made yeah, two big deliberate decisions. One was let's build a, a crowdfunding platform and campaigns and sort of actual connective tissue on the donor side, not just do it from the nonprofit side of the fence. And then the other side was to take the like least scalable, most consultative approach to crypto and then back down instead of making like the kind of um, half version of like a Shopify for crypto and just pop it on as many nonprofit sites as possible and let the chips fall where they may. So 
those were like the two big realizations. Charities needed a hell of a lot more than like a payment solution and donors needed a lot more education and, and opportunities to give. So you hinted this a little bit, but just to be a little more direct, how normalized is crypto as a form of, I'm going to call it walking currency. So maybe not that I would go down the street and buy a pizza with it, but how normalized is it as a, a form of usable currency that donors are interested in uh, exchanging or giving to nonprofits? Yeah, this is, I skipped your, your second half of your first question, which is like, what is crypto? And this answers the question. It's uh, one of the biggest branding errors was calling it cryptocurrency to begin with. Like it should have been called something different because everyone now associates it with currencies. Like they don't recognize that it has features like gold and stores of value. It has features like stocks and assets that are speculative that you invest into and out of based on how you think a thing might perform, say a company. Um, and then currencies, like things you exchange, value that is exchanged between two people to transact. Um, and those things aren't hard set values. These are just constructions, right, by people. There is no reason for just those three areas to exist. You could have 15, you could have one. Um, all of these uh, things have different unique features. So like what a cryptocurrency is like a Bitcoin, like the, the basic kind of uh, original versions is it's got the features of a currency that you would um, want for the most part. It's very fungible. You can transfer it anywhere. It's divisible down to cents on the dollar. You can send a billion dollars anywhere in the world. The transaction record is unchangeable. No one can alter any transaction record. Um, and no one can add fake Bitcoin into the network or claim that it is somewhere where it isn't. It's this blockchain ledger that's immutable is like the whole tech behind it versus dollars where every record is more or less fake. Like if you, if everyone went to their bank today to take the money out, it doesn't exist. It's a system called fractional reserve. So it's, it's like made up on a spreadsheet. This is like a hard and fast exchange system that no one can alter the records. And if you're holding it, you're actually holding it. Like it, it, no one can say that it doesn't exist. Um, so that's fun and exciting. The issue though, price volatility, right? Like if you have something like a Bitcoin and it's going up a lot, you now have tax implications when you spend it. Like if you spent stocks getting coffee every day, you're triggering taxable events, you owe the IRS money and you're reducing your portfolio size. So Bitcoin doesn't really work like a currency in the day to day, except for places you know, like Venezuela, which gets you to a stable coin. Think of all of those features of a Bitcoin, but it's just pegged to the price of a US dollar. So when, when people think about a cryptocurrency, you get all of those cool features, you can send it anywhere. It's really fast, easy to send. It's a perfect transaction record. You can audit any government, every dollar that went anywhere. No one can ever change that record. You absolutely know you have it when you do, but it's pegged to a dollar. Like that's kind of the next stage of the use cases. And that's more like, to your point of walking around currency. We're just starting to see that kind of take form. When you went through the use cases and you started talking about on the donor side and creating those campaigns, talk to me about what the universe looked like and the number of uh, potential donors that you found or have seen for you know people who are interested in or willing to make campaigns that support nonprofits. Yeah, I mean, we're at a point now where like tens of millions of dollars are donated in crypto every month. We have um, like a campaign going on right now. We have a $10 million match pool and some's coming from companies and individuals. It's a bit of a mix. There's like two main donor demographics as individuals. And then there's sort of the corporate entities and the partnerships. For the individuals, you have kind of um, millennial Gen Z, as you would expect this average quote unquote crypto user who's like late twenties, early thirties, high income on average, highly tech and financially literate. Um, 
they tend to be um, you know, uh, more generous than traditional investors from the Fidelity report last year. They're 50% more likely to give $1,000 or more than any other investment demo, which is fun. And they're exactly what you'd expect. Like the, the analogy, or not the analogy, but example we give all the time is like, we have donors who are like, have fun staying poor, like doing internet memes with each other back and forth all day. And then they just like form a DAO and like pile up a million and a half dollars to give it to like human rights organizations fighting poverty. And it's like, it's the same people. So you have like this inane meme internet culture of like young folks having fun on the internet and playing with interesting technologies. Um, and then they're giving to nonprofits with this like highly tax incentivized mode of giving. And then the other demo on the individual side is traditional investors. So the majority of wealth in crypto was already held by Gen X and boomers. Like it happened very quickly, but it, it's just a fractional percentage of their portfolios, but they just have so much of the wealth. So like 95% of hedge funds either have crypto or diversified into it. If you're an endowment, like you've diversified into crypto, like in some way, shape or form, oftentimes treasury management is moving in that direction. Um, that's the other side of the fence, sort of like your old school donors who now, if they have any crypto, if it's gone up more than their stocks, they're giving that instead. And then sort of corporate partnerships would be the, the last one outside of individuals. And that's like crypto exchanges, right? When you watch the Super Bowl, they're buying up all the stadiums, they're buying up all the ads, the, you know, the billionaires in the Forbes top 30 list are more frequently these men and women. Um, those crypto exchanges, those payment companies, kind of the next wave of financial innovation, from a corporate partnership standpoint, that would be your other vector. So classic crypto people, the DGENs, as people call them, traditional investors who are diversifying in, and then the companies who are building the fabric of the ecosystem, that's kind of the next wave of big picture corporate partners, like the what Facebook and Twitter kind of used to be. So one of the things we know, you know, from, from being in the nonprofit fundraising space is that donors, we, we need to make it easy for them. We need to um, remove barriers for, between them and giving. When it comes to crypto, where are the barriers and where do they need to come down? Is it, it's, you know, it seems like on the donor side, these would be people who are very familiar with using, uh, you know, whichever cryptocurrency they're working with. They're, they're aware of it. They're very knowledgeable. Maybe the nonprofits aren't so much. Is it on their side that they need the tools, the platforms? Like what, what is, what is the holdup or what is, what's standing in the way? Yeah, it's a very good question. Um, there's sort of uh, like the intersection between the two of them is where like a lot of the issues emerge. So like both have problems. So like the the donors don't necessarily understand the nonprofit side of things. They might not be as literate on the tax consequences of taking certain actions or like getting an appraisal on a donation of a certain size. Or um, they also don't know like what the rules and regulations are around a nonprofit. So you sometimes get a donor who is crypto literate but doesn't understand what that means for an institution. So like pop up a wallet for a nonprofit that's like not linked to an exchange account that's in the nonprofit's name with documentation and they'll send a million bucks there. And then they go to the IRS and they're like, I gave a million dollars to a charity and the IRS says, prove it. And they're like, I have like a blockchain ledger. It's like ledger, yeah, to what? You know what I mean? Like where, show me that the nonprofit owns this address. It's like, they'll tell you they do. And it's like, there's zero documentation. So it's little things like that where they just don't know what the nonprofit needs are and they can butt into issues. Um, and then the other piece is the nonprofits not understanding crypto. So like in the early days, there are like horror stories. But nonprofits still do this sometimes where like a donor will send an NFT to like a dynamic wallet address and just set it on fire. Or nonprofits will like try to set up their own solution, like connect it to something. And they won't show that like something isn't an ERC-20 token. Like, the, you know, you can have versions of the same token go across different protocols and they'll send like, 
something from Seoul, like on an ERC-20 version of the token because they don't like market accordingly. And then again, the money is just gone forever. Um, so yeah, technical considerations on the nonprofit side, compliance to protocols they need to have in place. And then the main issue is like donors and nonprofits when they historically tried to like set up their own account somewhere, or if a nonprofit solution provider tried to go from that into crypto, the support team isn't ready for what donors needs are because they're not crypto literate enough. Or if it's an exchange, they're crypto literate, but they're not ready for nonprofit needs when they're like, how do I update my gift acceptance policy? Then the nonprofit is just toast. So it just leads to a lot of like six hour Saturdays for someone on their team trying to like piece together what this might mean. The Okay. So first of all, this, Pat, this is so it's fascinating. It's all fascinating. Um, I somewhat feel like I'm talking to C3PO. <laughs> There's like, and, and I mean that in the highest regard, in the absolute highest regard, because there is this, there is this element of digital advancement that is baked into everything that you're about and everything that you're doing. And I applaud you and the number of languages that you can speak and help translate this uh, for our audience. I'm also. I'm amazed at the parallels I'm mentally drawing, by the way, to donor advice funds and the process of, of being connected to and giving through crypto formats. And, uh, and there is this massive transference of wealth from you know, the greatest generation and boomers that is primarily happening through upper level, you know, they'd be called upper level giving platforms like donor advised funds or transferring other assets. And uh, and last year we spent a considerable part of our year talking about Gen X as an emerging group of donors. And you're just like right on that wake of talking about, no, 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 there are assets that this group has that they're looking for ways to tie in to, uh, to give them to charities. And we've seen this even with our own clients of, you know, uh, you know, NFTs being a part of or donations or someone sells off a group of NFTs and then takes that and uh, provides it over to a, don a nonprofit. Um, the the biggest challenge and I'm so I'm getting to a question and uh, it's the question that we kind of talked about earlier. So I'm preparing you. You can't say just us. Nonprofits are historically slow to adopt. I mean, even with mobile, it's taken a long time for nonprofits to get comfortable, not just adoption, but comfortable with the use of certain technologies. What's the biggest challenge for a nonprofit to adopt the solution sets that you're offering? The market's there, the dollars are there, the willingness from the donor is there, so like those things all line up, what's stopping them? Yeah, it's it's a great, there, there's two main things. One is just not paying attention, which is just a fact of life, where it's just like, you'll explain certain things, like the fact that like for, you know, like interest earning accounts, if you're familiar with these, like a BlockFi or Gemini, or, like they've been around now for multiple years, just over a significant period, you can just leave your principal intact, the USD dollar value, and, and you can learn, earn usually somewhere between seven and 12% on that money, just flat. And it's like, you tell people, that, and they're like, that can't possibly. And then you see institutions that are doing that, like moving tens of millions of dollars in there, just earning that. It's more just like being unaware. So like when we talk to universities and we set them up, so that's the primary thing, like just not paying attention 
at all. Um, we talked to universities when we set them up to take crypto. So like, we work with the University of Alabama and like UNC and um, just a, a lot of universities do this. Now then the, you know, the, the endowment side, like the finance team is like, should we be looking at investing in crypto? And just as a point of clarification, I'm not saying you should go out and buy a bunch right now. Like sometimes it's overvalued, sometimes it's undervalued. Like there, there's a million considerations. But like what we tell endowments, it's, it's like your job is to manage a big pile of money right? Like as effectively as you can. And they're like, yeah. And it's like, well, crypto is the best performing asset class of the last five years, of the last 10 years, like just go over any multi-year period. It's outperforming literally everything else. So it's like, so if you haven't looked at it for more than a decade, like the best performing assets, then like, what are the odds you're doing your job as effectively as possible? It's like the, the answer is zero. Like you, you have to look at, it. you can say no, but like, look at it, I guess would be like the main, so that's the main thing. And most nonprofits are just like, they just spend a, a you know, 20 minutes in the internet, there's, there's 300 billion people, like there's more money in this than silver. And it's like, yeah, this is like, it's not a small thing. And then they're like, oh, American Cancer Society, Save the Children, United Way, Worldwide, PETA, St. Jude. It's like, everyone has, it's like, yeah, it's been, it's kind of a thing. So that's the first thing, like pay attention. And then the second piece is like the muscle group of innovation, like just working that muscle because you shouldn't necessarily start with crypto. If you are, to your point, like behind the, the eight ball on social media and like search engine optimization and mobile optimizing your site and taking, you know, basic things like Zelle, you know, like other just like regular payment methods. Like there's a lot of, you should have a list of these things that you should be exploring iteratively and then looking at like how much time and energy it takes to do something and what is the potential upside, right? And, and the average, like you have to be analyzing trends and then hitting them consistently. If you do that consistently, then your organization can get into new things because you're good at it. You know what departments need to be tapped, what questions need to be answered, you know how to look at a solution. It's very efficient for you to do a new thing. But if you're constantly not doing that, then this is not a thing you should be doing and you shouldn't be doing anything. You just gotta wait to die, you know, because it's, it's a muscle group thing. So for nonprofits who can, we always ask, like, are you good at the internet in some fundamental sense? And are you good at fundraising? And if you, the answer is yes to both of those, then of course you should take crypto. And if it's not yes to both of those, then you have other things you should be working on. And this is probably like a lottery ticket or a distraction. Um, so like those, I, I would say those are the two main things. Like you have to look at this and other trends. Crypto is not the only interesting thing in the world for nonprofits or what can help them. And then you gotta be exploring trends actively and trying to do things. Um, or you're gonna be really bad when you absolutely have to do a new thing for the first time. The muscle group will have atrophied. And that's where I get to say, and when you are ready, that the giving block is a group that you need to contact. We talk <laughs> about this because clearly, I mean, you guys have the knowledge and the expertise and some very mature solutions already in place to help organizations get further down the road with this. Yeah, for accepting it, with it's like opening a bank account. If you can open a bank account, you can accept it, but you shouldn't necessarily be doing it. You know what I mean? Because if you're going to accept it and think you did it and you're just going to sit it somewhere for a year, like you're going to be kicking yourself a year from now because like you didn't even just do the light lift stuff of splicing it into your existing fundraising opportunities and adding that passive revenue stream. Um, you want to be able to hit it. And if it becomes a thing that you're having all these internal meetings around afterwards and you're like over-investing into low ROI, high bandwidth stuff, like you know if it's a shiny object or a lottery ticket type thing. And like you shouldn't be doing crypto then either way. Like most nonprofits are in that 95% in the middle where it's definitely a thing they should explore and then like potentially implement. Um, 
but yeah, the actual setup of it, it's, it's like opening a bank account. You just fill out an application. Then it comes down to how are we going to get this? How do we tell our audience that we're taking it? And how do we get in front of crypto users? There's like a new donor demo. And there's like level one all the way up to 10, right? Like you can just come in with a full head of steam. But like, that's not the move for everybody. Um, the one thing you don't want to do is pop it on your site, fall asleep for two years, and then show up like someone who you know, created a, a website in the uh, the early 2000s and then shows up a decade later and it's like why isn't anyone coming here it's like you didn't add any content you didn't make a newsletter you didn't open social accounts like you just sat there and wasted your chance to be you know early it's just like many of the other avenues that nonprofits are looking for you know many are after monthly sustainers and you have to pursue it you have to constantly make donors aware of the the possibility for it send out, out emails and mail and, and mention it on social. So it, like you said, it's, you have to keep going after it and, 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 and pursuing it. It's not going to fall in your lap. Now, I'm, I'm just kind of curious. Um, you've, you've given uh, some stories about a couple of missteps that or alluded to missteps that nonprofits have made. What are, what are some of your favorite positive stories? You know, so maybe you don't need to say your client's name or something, but, you know, just get, give us an idea of, of, what are the, what is a great outcome for uh, a nonprofit? Yeah, no, we can say names for for ones that are public information. We have we have fourteen hundred clients on the platform now, so we've got like a thirty page packet of like case studies and testimonials. Versus like back in the day, we had one and they had to just keep calling everybody and saying it's cool. Um, but like for a small organization, someone like an orangutan outreach, this is an example of a group that usually we say no to, like when they come through um like uh, as a lead like we we say no to a lot more organizations than we sign up just because we have, we have a 99 percent retention rate and like our averages and our stat and like performance is just a very big thing we want orgs that can have a crypto philanthropy program so they came in at five hundred thousand a year we were like like that's usually below where we'd start feeling a little nervous about how good are you at the internet how good are you at fundraising but they were great at both and it was like obvious pretty early on and the founder had an interest in nft specifically that wasn't lottery tickety, you know, because you can feel that too. You get the 2 a.m. emails and they're like, should I buy this? And I was like, I don't know. I can't tell you that. And this was much more nuanced. Um, and they had an ape-related nonprofit, right? Orangutan Outreach. And they caught wind of the uh, Board Ape Yacht Club stuff as it was going down. And they were just not all at once and then getting frustrated after a week of it and then shutting down until end of year, which a lot of nonprofits do even with us. They just consistently sent messages to people, engaged on content, built this kind of crypto Twitter following, and they engaged uh, Board Ape Yacht Club, and it worked. And they they wanted to donate fees from stuff that was going down and drops they were doing. It's like one of the big NFT projects, and it hit, and they raised over a million dollars in crypto in a single year. So they literally tripled their budget with it. That's obviously not what everyone's experience looks like. You know, if you have a, a thirty to fifty thousand dollar program in your first year, like that's very normal and that's exciting. But they smashed it by just like really over a multi-month period, slowly building an audience, fundraising a little here and there, like activating folks, engaging in campaigns. And then they found a partner that was super exciting. So that's a good example. Um, and then I'd say in terms of developing a program, this is like if you're a blue chip nonprofit, like forgive me for wording it this way, but it's insane to not accept crypto because everyone knows how it works. Like if you just put like Burger King, St. Jude, Bitcoin, and it like it's the number one story in the world always. Like it's just a very exciting opportunity. So if you have 2 million Twitter followers, it's pretty easy to make dramatically more money all of a sudden just by saying, hey, we like Bitcoin now. 
Um, but American Cancer Society did in a really kind of calculated way. They were like, we want to make space for crypto users. We want to have a stewardship model in place. We know it's kind of like a Gen Z engagement method, but like a white glove, major gift uh, conversion journey. And they called it the Cancer Crypto Fund. They set a million dollar crypto goal specifically. They said, we want to raise a million dollars for cancer research in crypto. We're going to give it an identity. We'll have like a wall of honor. And they activated it really strong and like got a following, built like a, a seven figure plus crypto program really quickly and without doing their own NFTs or, or like trying to create a, a blockchain patient registry. Like they really looked and, and worked with us to find like high ROI, low bandwidth stuff, built an incredible foundation from search engine optimization to what their calls to action will be and who on what team will handle it. And they were just braced for um success and they they gave it an identity you know an op-ed came out they they built up a following raised money really quickly and efficiently and then when we uh listed doge on our platform uh we sent out a note where it's like every nonprofit should post about this because it's like a fun high engagement thing to talk about and they got twelve thousand retweets on that which is i think their second best performing tweet ever but that's because they had a base and they had enough people following there to get that ripple effects. They almost made a mistake after that, though. They were like, we need to go on on Doge, like their leadership. And I was like, don't do that. You're going to be like a meme, like immediately. So they were like, we're going to do nothing but Doge content. And we were like, please don't do that. But up please, until- yeah, Please that, don't. Please, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. that's the, the fun part is the, you know, is the walking up to the cliff mm -hmm. with, with all this stuff and kind of peering over and thinking, oh, what, what does it look like, you know? So, so good on you all for helping uh, continually provide that service of strategy and engagement and consulting to, to help them walk through um, what is an ever-changing landscape. 100%. Uh, Pat, this is, this is cool stuff, man. It really is. And, uh, I, you know, we, we love the success that you all have had so far, and we're excited to see how it continues uh, and for, you know, you and Alex and your team to be on the front edge of a really interesting aspect of digital advancement. And so if uh, one of our listeners wants to learn more about uh, about your team, um, how can they get in touch with the giving block? Where do they go? How do they find you? What do, what should they look for? Yeah, the, the main thing we recommend to everyone is just go to thegivingblock.com. There's a, a big shiny accept crypto button. There's a, a form you fill out. And then you just talk to like an expert who runs through what's a, a needs assessment and opportunities assessment. So they just bang through all of that. And then you get that as a follow-up and then you can kind of figure it out from there. We're of course going to try to pitch you to join our platform, but like that's a, a very good starting point. It'll pretty much run through, do you have all of these basic fundamental attributes? Like you're in a hotspot city, you have a very young donor base, you're super active on Twitter, just basic things like that. And then also needs assessment, large organization, there's endowment slash treasury management related needs. We need to accept more than just cryptos. There's an NFT component. Um, getting through those, the, the basic understanding of what you might need to look for saves like the most time upfront. So you're not just like trying to research and make a makeshift version. And then after that, um, you know, figuring out like how actively you actually can get into crypto is like a really important thing and go in there like that. If you're really into crypto, you can create blockchain fatigue. So don't do that. You can just come in super hot and everyone's annoyed three weeks in because now you're like the Bitcoin guy at Thanksgiving, um, but at your charity. And then uh, same thing if you start too slow, you slap a button up there and fall asleep. But that's yeah, the givingblock.com is our website. And then for me, I'm at this is Pat Duffy uh, across socials. 
Fantastic, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for lending your expertise. Uh, and and, and <laughs> honest to goodness, my dog even agrees. Like that, like the the things that you and Alex and team are doing. Thank you all for leaning in and helping continue to advance nonprofits in this space. It's uncharted territory, and that's why it's so exciting. Is because there's a lot of opportunity there. So uh, we we appreciate you, man. Appreciate you being a part of the show today. Yeah, we love it, man. Thanks so much for for having us. So that's uh, that's this episode, Ronnie. You know, um, I'm really torn on whether or not we should continue the banter or if we should talk about creating an NFT of a rhino with a really twirly mustache, uh, like we were talking about with Pat uh, before we got on today. I think it's all of the above. Like, we should just say now, if you stay with us, we're gonna keep talking for another 45, maybe 60 minutes about rhinos with mustaches. That's the only topic, so stick around. See, and, and you know, Ronnie, Pat, you should know that he looks at the analytics and he knows when people start to fall off. And so this is a test for him. He's trying to see if, if we have something, you know, possibly absurd, but interesting. Will people stick around? You got to do some magic. You know what I mean? You got to get some cards. It's true. It's true. So, uh, hey, listen, if uh, if folks have missed any of their uh, other episodes, you can find them across all the places that you listen to podcasts. Please throw us a follow. Be sure to check out our other resources on rkdgroup.com. And uh, we look forward to continuing our conversations on digital advancement. We'll, uh, We'll see you next time. See you guys down the road. Group Thinkers is a production of RKD Group. For more information, visit rkdgroup.com slash podcast. Special thanks to our production team, including the talented Ryan Mellinger for his work on mixing every episode. Also a shout out to the content team that helps pull together research and guests, but it's the marketing efforts behind Group Thinkers. Suzanne, Ronnie, and others for their work on this and every episode of Group Thinkers.